Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Halstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing good, Jody. How are Sweet. you? I'm trying to recover from being in the sun all day, but otherwise good. Oof. Yeah, I, I try to avoid that. I generally really sport the studio town here and practically <laughs> see through. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, not good. Not good. Hey, we have a uh, listener request we this do. week. We do. We do. So what is that? It is a deep dive into a piece of studio kit, otherwise known as the H3000 by Eventide. Correct. A little bit of history thing is good to kind of start us off here, as we tend to do. Yeah. Right? Eventide was founded in the early 70s, 71, I believe, if you want to be nitpicky. <laughs> and uh, by right, a Richard Factor, Stephen Katz, and Orville Green. Mm-hmm. Um, they then, of course, became responsible for a lot of groundbreaking gear and studio equipment. And the first one I'm thinking about is the H910 Harmonizer. Such a classic sound that it's still used by people today to get that little thickening effect Mm -hmm. on a lot of stuff. The other one was actually for broadcast. They were doing a lot of stuff for broadcast. This was a delay unit to cover obscenities in like radio shows and TV shows and things like that. That's right. The uh, button that says, if you swore, like shit, damn, piss or fuck or something of that nature. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And they hit that button and it would recover for a little bit of time before you could hear the delay or hear the broadcast again. Right. So that was only two, obviously, of uh, Eventides. But a little background on their gear. We're talking about the H3000, and this as well comes in a few different forms that we'll we'll touch on later. The original one came out in the late 80s, in 87, I believe. The H3000 Ultra Harmonizer. Hell yeah, baby. What was the first time that, that you heard about a harmonizer? When did that come on your radar? I was attending Musicians Institute. Yeah. And it was right around that time, actually. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was similar when I started really getting into like guitar nerdery. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a little bit later than 87. But yeah, it, w- it was players that we'll mention later on that really brought my attention to that. And I, I don't think you could pick up like a guitar magazine at that time, you know, without seeing a without picture seeing of, the, of yes. the 3000. Yeah. yeah. For our younger listeners, perhaps like a magazine was something that we used to buy that was made of paper. That had <laughs> yeah, they didn't come digitally. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. They, but, there were all uh, kinds of them. It's like just for a trip down memory lane, we had guitar for the practicing musician. Mm-hmm. There was also guitar world, which still exists actually. Right. Uh, Guitar, guitar player, player magazine was the yep. granddaddy of them, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, it was also guitar school. Yeah, and, there was that one too. And then there was actually one that came out for a short while called Guitar Shop, I believe. I don't but remember it was that. Was actually one. just about gear, mm. and then gear nerdery promptly stopped, and <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it, several of those was, publications went away. Absolutely, yeah. But back to the uh, H3000. For people that might not be aware of what this unit is, it's a rack-mounted piece of gear, 19-inch rack space, two-unit big, and you'll note it by, well, it had a few different different colors. It had a big 
rotary knob in the front of it and also what looked like a little calculator for inputting parameters and things. Mm -hmm. The first one that came out, I want to say it was blue or is it like dark black type of thing? One of those. It was like a navy but, blue or black. Yeah. Right. If you see one of those and if you watch any kind of like sci-fi movie, you'll see a iteration of that with uh, Jodie Foster contact <laughs> where she's contacting aliens. As advanced as it was, it, as far as I know, it didn't or wasn't able to do that. <laughs> Contact aliens? Right. Mm -hmm. Well, the idea of the H3000 is actually coming off that first unit that you mentioned a little bit earlier, which is right. the H910, which mm -hmm. was the harmonizer. It was designed by Ken Bogdanovich. Is that how you pronounce his name? Bob Belcher and Dave Durer. And the interesting right. thing about that is some of these guys went on to create some other stuff, like empirical labs. Right, as Dave Durer there. And mm -hmm. he was, from what I understand, he was in charge of the IO, the conversion of the unit. So right. bright fellas know what they're doing. Now here's dangerous nerd level here, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> what actually made this... Uh, tick here was that it had inside it to do the processing of this box it had three texas instruments chips in it the tsm 32010 for those keeping score at home i told you it was nerdy but that was handling the processing and there was also another chip in there for dealing with sort of like the interaction and dialing of presets and all this kind of stuff. And they were all like Motorola chips, 6809. Again, and when you look at that, on. the idea of the Motorola 68, that mm -hmm. was a chip that initially a lot of the early days of personal computers used. It's the 6800 yeah. and the 68,000 chips. Hence, this box had a very forward-thinking UI for a guitar processor. Right. And funny you mentioned guitar there, because to me, initially, when I think of this unit, it's a guitar unit. Mm -hmm. But it's more than that, obviously, because it is a, a multi-effect, and it had several different algorithms in there. And Eleven these, of them. Eleven of them, yeah. It was like stereo delays and dual harmonizers, delay in harmonization, multi-mode filters, all these things. But that's, the biggest, coolest thing about this box at the time is the diatonic pitch shifting. Yes. An intelligent diatonic pitch shifter in that regard. It knew, based on the key you told it that you were playing in, it would know what note you're playing, and it would be able to harmonize in key with whatever you were playing. Yeah, I think we should break that down for, if somebody doesn't know what that actually means. Sure, go right? ahead. If we're playing in any kind of key, let's say we're playing in the key of C, mm -hmm. we got the notes C, D, E, F, G, A, and B. The intervallic structure there is going to change in between the notes. Let's say you're going for a third. Some of those are going to be major thirds, and some of them are going to be minor thirds. If you didn't have this diatonic pitch shifting, everything would be just set to the same, yeah, which means that... It, when you're harmonizing, it would sound really, really bad at times. Right? <laughs> Especially if you were only doing major thirds all the way through or minor thirds all the way through. Right. Through the but scale. This, so this actually compensated for that and knew how to harmonize and create these harmonies in the key that you're playing. And that is just insanely cool. It was mind-boggling at the time because nobody was really doing it. Yeah. The biggest guy that, for me, that I was thinking about this one was Steve Vai. 
Yes. And I believe Joe Satriani was a heavy user as well, but certainly Steve Vai on Passionate Warfare, just like his second solo album. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all over that. But who were you thinking about? Are you thinking about the same when you're thinking about this unit? That's how I first learned about the unit was through Steve Vai stuff. Because the stuff that he was creating in the late 80s, early 90s was insane. It was absolutely insane. And he'd get these really crazy sounds because of this box. The interesting thing is, is that you and I as guitar players, and that's kind of where we <laughs> lived in the time and, and started with all of this stuff of being guitar players, we saw it as a guitar effects box. But yeah. it technically was a studio effects box. Yeah. It just had all of this functionality and that that's not limited to my limited capacity at the time. I was like, <laughs> no, it's guitar. It found itself in studios as well, in studio racks everywhere. While we're talking to Steve Vai, though, I think it's interesting that he actually, for the second iteration of this, the H3000S, he actually had a bunch of original patches that he had designed that was included in that that shipped with it. Right. Heavy user there, right? <laughs> so heavy and so popular that he had his own presets that you could buy. Yeah. And not because of Steve I or anything, but obviously for the quality of this box, right? You would find it in a lot of studio players and their racks and stuff. And certain effects that we'll touch on later that really became on Vogue and sounded really, really good. So everybody needed to have this sort of effect, right? Yeah. And a lot of that kind of came down to the H3000. And another reason that made it pretty cool, especially for guitar players, is the fact that it had MIDI switching capability. Right. You had the ability to, if you wanted to change a patch, you step on a box so that it sent out a MIDI signal and it would change whatever it is you needed to change in the box. That was groundbreaking stuff back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds archaic now. It but does now, now because everything's oh, like can... that. Right. While there were other multi-effect processors out there, mm -hmm. I think of this one as a pure sort of like multi-effect thing as sort of the pinnacle, I would think. The top of the, the heap. Yeah. The big daddy. Right. The top dog. <laughs> yeah, all of those. In while there were other boxes that did similar sort of specialized stuff mm -hmm. that, that were like really good, like the Lexicon or like the PCM 70s and all that were just strictly delay kind of things, right? Mm -hmm. But this one did a lot of things really, really well. But it had a price tag to go along with it. But, it uh, sure did. <laughs> for, yeah. For us mortals, though, you, you mentioned before we started recording, and I had the same thing. I had the, uh, it's like, it's almost embarrassing to say at this point, but the uh, Elise's Quadroverb. Yeah. Well, it yeah. was a very simplistic version of the H3000. <laughs> and it couldn't yeah. do anything. Couldn't do all the things that the H3000 could do, but it was affordable for those that didn't have the giant budget, like a lot of the big-time studio players could. You know, they right. were making all that dough, doing all those tracks on going from gig to gig. That If you needed a particular sound, you'd call one of these guys that had that thing, and boom, they had it. Right. I always felt like other multi-effect boxes, they could do things okay, mm. but then, of course, to sort of like keep costs down and stuff. Right. It was like, yeah, uh, Programmability was not as heavy or the amount of effects that they could do, not as many, that kind of thing. And yeah. certainly the idea of intelligent pitch shifting was not commonplace across every multi-effects box like it would be now. Right. 
the quadruple definitely didn't have that. No, no, it certainly <laughs> didn't. <laughs> yeah. Besides the, the diatonic pitch shifting there then, I mean, mm -hmm. I hinted out at the top there were other studio players, but one of the things that this box does really well or did really well as well was this fattening effect where they have this micro pitch shifting going on the left and right. Mm -hmm. Today, we can just do this in the box. You don't necessarily need a dedicated $3,000 box to do this, but, right. but that's kind of where it started. But where you detune the left and the right side by certain amount. On the H3000, it was about 9%. You go up on one and, and down on the other. And it just did that. So you can think about the same thing where it's a few cents either way or maybe up well, up when, to 10 cents perhaps. But. Yeah, it's it's very little. It's right. cents being one hundredths of a pitch change if you break it into a hundred. Right. From so if you like a hundred would be a semitone, right? So you're going up a little bit less than that. But it has a really, really cool effect. And of course, there's others or other presets and things that are just really well known that people still use. And we heard all over the radio and stuff at one point, that's for sure. Speaking of other things that people should hear, it's a word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to move on a little bit here to talk about the Ultra Harmonizer H3000 being inducted into the what? The Tech Hall of Fame. Yeehaw. How about that? 2016. Took a while for it to get there. <laughs> well, maybe it's like sports. Like you need to be around for a while before you're eligible. Sure. This box has won awards, right? And obviously stood the test of time. It's not like there's been just one version. No, this. they've had multiple versions of this thing. Right. I mentioned the S version, which was the second one that came out. I, I believe this was the blue one. Okay. Uh, the, yeah. It doesn't matter, but you could only yeah. play blues on it. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll show myself out. But later on, we also got the SE, which stands for Studio Enhanced. More presets, upgraded processors, that type of a thing, algorithms. They actually had one for broadcasts, was the H3000B. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you can, it had more curse words programmed into it. No. <laughs> He's lying, but that's funny. Oh, I'm lying, but yeah, I'm trying to be funny. The other one that we got is the D slash SE. Here we got some new algorithms in here, and we got one of the things that you bring up every once in a while when you and I work together is a vocoder. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yep. So that one had that. It also had uh, a string modeler, which for the first time actually had an algorithm that could produce sound and not just process sound. Right. So that's kind of cool. But, but there, then they went on and it became almost like cryptic. I know it developed into the DSP 4000, I think. Mm. So there, there's a lot of different iterations on this and just more power, more algorithms and things. I but, think uh, today with the request, we're, we're focusing on the 3000, I think. Right. The 3000 has evolved into the H9000, which is like the grandson, I suppose, of the H3000. We got a nice demonstration of the new interface that can work with the computer, or you can get it like the standard box that the H3000 was. And the new software that runs the H9000 is to die for. It is absolutely amazing, but it comes with a hefty price tag. <laughs> <laughs> it sure does, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, seeing it, it was 
not the issue, but I think it was summer now, maybe, that we saw it. It was still yeah. in Anaheim. Yeah. So it wasn't it technically was still- Summerham. It was the one that went happened in June. Well, that's what I'm thinking. It's summer now, right? Oh, so gotcha. It's, yeah. 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 But it's pretty amazing. It I was. mean, it, it that one actually might be able to contact aliens. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> it, it's deep, deep. But you also need deep pockets to get it. Because right. I think- the one with the computer interface was eight thousand dollars, and then if you just got straight up on the box, it was six grand. So it's still a very pricey unit. Right. But I'm sure it sounds absolutely glorious. You know. Well, it did sound so, glorious. So, yeah. We got to hear it. We got to see it. We got to hear it. And when you can hear it, something sounds good at NAMM, it's doing its job. (laughs) Exactly. To find the original H3000 on the used market, you're still looking at a pretty hefty price tag. I think brand new, if I remember back in the day, they were about three grand. Could be. Yeah, I don't know. I just know they were out of my price range. Yeah, they were pretty pricey. And I believe you can still find the H3000 in the used market for around $2,500. So they didn't really drop a whole lot in price. And then if you want the extra oomph of the ability to have the vocoder and the string modeler for the D slash SE version, it's still about another $1,000 more. So you're looking at like around $3,500 for that one. Yeah. Like... Steve Lukather once said it in an ad, what's a couple of bucks when the music is that important? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he's not wrong. (laughs) Right? They're still around today. Obviously, they're being made. Did you ever own one? Have you ever played through one? What's your experience with these, Jerry? The answer to your question is hardware style, no. Played through it, yes. Currently, I have the plug-in release version that Eventide has of the H3000, which is a two-plug-in setup. And I do have that, and I do use it from time to time. Yeah, same thing here. It was one of those things that, for me, it's not going to happen at this point, right? Well, it, it, it was, was very st- expensive I was unit, to, and I was still in right, music school. <laughs> right. So I was still trying to build my rig. So then, you know, you ended up with the aforementioned gear that you could afford. I did spend a little bit more putting my rig together because that's the time I actually got my Soldano. Okay. I did spend a pretty penny on that. There was no even tied money left over. So, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but same thing here. I do have the software versions as well. Mm-hmm. They're intense. I think the. Um, well, the they modeled it needs- extremely well. Sure. The reason why they broke it up is a little bit. Mm, I'm not 100% sure of the reasoning behind why they split it into two plugins. Although I do know that one portion of it is strictly for band filtering delays. And then the rest of it is the rest of the factory stuff. So the band filtering stuff for delay use is a separate plugin in regards to the H3000 plugins that they have. Right. On that same train of thought, they, they do obviously still have a lot of their legacy products as well mm-hmm. in software form as well. So you can get like the H910 and all that kind of stuff as well. And, and they're Good stuff. The thing that I might gripe, I suppose, with the H3000 in the software form mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the sound or anything. Right. Well, it sounds like you would expect, but the interface leaves a little bit to be desired. It almost looks like they desired the interface at the same time as they did the hardware unit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, it has the actual hardware front end at the top of the plugin. And then the rest of the bottom of it is changes a little bit based on what you're trying to do. And that makes it a little bit confusing sometimes. It doesn't have the same 
exact dialed-in interface as the hardware box, and nor should it, but maybe they could have updated it to be a little easier to work with. An update to the interface would be nice. But it would be. But then I it wouldn't be the H3000 because it would look different. <laughs> well, it wouldn't sound but, the same. Right. But I think also, obviously, their, their focus is elsewhere at this point because they do have other products that we'll mention here in, in a bit. A few of the things that still last, though, I think today from Sonic standpoint mm-hmm. that, that people are still using these boxes for is uh, predominantly three different type of presets. Okay. I don't remember the number of the presets. If you have the unit, you know what it is. And if you want to know the preset number, Google it. <laughs> but uh, one is called Micro Pitch Shift. Uh-huh. And that's, again, that's that widening, kind of thickening kind of a sound. Right. The other one is a variation on that. And this is something I would imagine that you would use a fair bit on your vocals, but it's a uh, micro pitch slap. Well, the answer to your question on that or your guesswork is not too far off because Eventide does make a plugin that is based on this called micro pitch. And yes, I do use that for that functionality. Right. And it sounds great. It does. Right? Sounds absolutely The other stunning. one is, is the, the dual 910s that are actually in the box as far as like preset goes. Right. That's what people like for these, these boxes, and they, they still sound great for that. And as I've been hinting here, there are software alternatives. We have the H3000 Factory, which is a vast majority of the H3000 in software form for a plug-in from Eventide. Then there is the Eventide H3000 band delays, which is the split out the thing from the whole factory unit. And then Eventide has put out additional things that are more modern in a sense because it's called the H9. And I believe they also have the H90, but the H9 is the software version of a lot of things, which includes things like crystals, Shimmerbird, mm-hmm. classic crystals, which is crystal echoes, and then micro pitch. All of these things are the offspring of the H3000 is a good way of putting it. Right. And now, of course, it's a much more affordable package if you go in that way, not just the software form, but in the guitar box, right? Right. Where you have it on the floor and you still get the sound quality. So those are really, really cool. A few of the people that worked for or worked on, I should say, the H3000 source, like the design thing, also ended up splitting away and ultimately forming Sound Toys. Mm-hmm. Sound Toys also have a few plugins that are really good at emulating this kind of sound. And I think also you can kind of tell with Sound Toys how their ethos is very similar to the beginnings, perhaps, of even tired of doing all this, this kind of like mangling and tweaking things, making it sound glorious, right? Right. Two plugins there that I'm thinking about is the crystallizer and the other one is the micro shift, mm-hmm. which again, the name implies what it does, right? The crystallizer in particular there, which is I think very, very similar to crystals on the in the H9 bundle mm-hmm. or shimmer verb. My memory to me is from that sound, and it's a sound that I love. And the first time I heard it was at MI. It was Vivian Campbell was playing there. Oh. And he was doing, it was, a, it was a trio with a singer, and he's the lone guitar player. And he plays a cover of an old Thin Lizzy song. You hear this beautiful sort of shimmer going on. And he goes, 
if anybody wonders what a keyboard player is, he's in my H3000 program <laughs> called Crystal Echoes. Nice. So I've always been really, really partial to that. But now I can have it as well in the software form. I'm loving that. Right on. And that is our take on the H3000. If you don't have it as a hardware box, you can get it still as a hardware box, or you can get the updated version with the H9000. Or if you want to go classic and you just want to stay in the box, get the plug-in straight from Eventide, and you'll get that same exact sound. And the interesting thing about it is they also recreate all the imperfections and the timing of things as well. And that's what makes the box so unique is that is powerful as it was, it did have imperfections that really made the character of that box really quite cool. Yeah, some little drifts in, in time and, and mm -hmm. harmony and that kind of thing as well. Definitely a cool thing. And if you're one of those people that have the original box, the later versions obviously had more processing power because technology evolved. Some of them are even upgradable. Mm -hmm. So you can get new chips in there if you want to go that route. By all accounts, I don't have one, but people say that if you're buying one on the used market, you might want to look at one of the later ones, like the DSE or something like that. But right they on. will fetch a pretty penny. So there you go. That's right. We're moving on now to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got today? I'm going to stay on point. And uh, I found a newfound appreciation mm. for another reverb. I know that Dave Pensado, I had talked about this before. It's the Eventide SP2016. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those legacy plugins that they have in their bundle. But it's actually really, really good sounding reverb. Next time you're doing a mix, check out the SP2016 because I know you have it as well. So it's a cool one. Uh, what about you? What do you have? In light of the idea of harmonization and keeping things in tune in a sense, I'm going to go with Synchro Arts and their plugin Repitch. It doesn't do intelligent harmonies the same way that the Eventide H3000 would do, but it does do pitch correction and all of that type of stuff quite well. The interface is different from things like the Logic Pitch Corrector or Melodyne's Pitch Corrector, but I'm going with Repitch from Synchro Arts. Nice. Yes. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. You'll need to be on our email list in order to be eligible for any future giveaways. And we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this amazing podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word or the lettering and numbering of H3000 and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion like today's episode for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one, Jody. Jody.